The following is a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. And these stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 24th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 5th of September. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters. Ooh, I'm kind of blowing this intro here. Uh, And make sure you are fully focused on the game while you are gathered at the meeting table. Uh, Our guest this week is Bebo of the tabletop gaming blog uh, called GameWire.com. Uh, Bebo is the proprietor of said gaming blog, and uh, she blogs on tabletop games and also has guest bloggers uh, add to the collective, as, as you will, uh, the library of, of blogs about tabletop board games. Uh, she describes herself as a, uh, let's see, a board game professional-ish. I like that. That's a great word. Um, Snoopy Paint speed painter of canvas and minis who likes long naps and walks to my bed. <laughs> I think that's probably my favorite uh, bio that I've ever read in my life. <laughs> Thank that, you. That is hilarious. Um, and uh, I, I, I've seen a lot of pictures of you on the internet, like on your website, and, and your hair colors are always awesome. I, I really dig that. Thank you. It is more work than it's worth, but I guess it's sort of my thing now, so I have to stick with it. <laughs> it's a part of the Bebo brand now. Oh, I'm, I'm glad my mohawk did not stick then, because that was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, our second in command here at the Adventure Party is Glenn Bittner. He is a movie reviewer on the YouTube show B Movie Bunker and creator of the RPG Mistrunner. How are you? I'm delightful. You should know this. I'm great company. Uh, yes. Yes, you are, Glenn. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. All right. Um, Bebo is with us today to talk about um, her blog, GameWire.com. And, uh, I'm sorry, her blog at GameWire.com called, oddly enough, GameWire. And um, how she got started in it, how the whole process has worked for her, and you know, maybe some of the <clears throat> trends she's seen over time. The one thing that I always kind of like to ask people that either have made games or talk about games is the impact of Kickstarter or other crowdfunding uh, companies that help that have really kind of helped bring forth another great explosion of games that I don't think we've seen since the 90s. So I really wanted to get uh, her perspective on that as well. So... Thank you for joining us today here at the Adventure Party Bebo. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, we're going to start things off with a game review by Glenn. And I, how do you pronounce this game, Glenn? Prohees. Okay. 
Uh, at least that's how I pronounce it. That's how I've heard it pronounced. So, um, but Proteus, it is a nice little tiny box game uh, from Blue Orange, who is one of my favorite game companies, both as a player and as a retailer. I love Blue Orange as a company. Um, this game is made by Mark Brunenkant, Brunenkant, perhaps. Uh, it's three to six players and runs about 30 minutes. What it is is, well, for those of you who don't know anything about U.S. history because you either don't live in America and don't care or you live in America and think you don't need to care because you live in America for some reason. Um, in the 1920s, we had this thing called prohibition. That meant that you could not manufacture, manufacture or sell alcohol. And in this game, every player takes on the role of a smuggler trying to move goods in convoys. Now, that sounds fairly simple. However, you have choices of goods you can move. You can move legal goods. That's fine. They're not worth as many points as illegal goods. Um, and anytime you have a convoy, other players can play one of their prohees cards, which is uh, basically like police officers or inspectors, and they can inspect part of your caravan or convoy. Um, if they find illegal goods, they get to take your entire convoy, no matter if everything else is legal or not, and they put it in their score pile. If they only find legal goods, you get to score your convoy, and you get to take their prohees card away from them and put it into your hands so you can use it on them later. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of bluffing. You can bribe. If someone wants to inspect your uh, convoy, you can bribe them. You can offer them cards from your hand to not inspect your convoy, which they can, of course, decide to take your bribe or not. If they take your bribe, they put that right in their score pile, you need to score your, your convoy. However, you can also put in your convoy, instead of just goods or illegal goods, you can put one of your prohees cards. So you can put uh, one of the little inspectors in your convoy. And if someone inspects it and they find that guy, their inspection stops immediately. You get to score your convoy, and you get to take their guy away from that. So there's a lot of, a lot of different things because you uh, how a turn works is you have to either draw cards there are some face-up cards in the center, or you can draw a blind from the deck. Um, there's technically only three types of cards in the game. There are illegal goods, legal goods, and then the three different types of prohees. There's captains, lieutenants, and um, I think it's mayor or major. Um, each one can inspect, a major can inspect three cards in someone's convoy, a captain can inspect two, and a regular guy can inspect one. Um, so you can either draw cards or you can start a convoy. If you start a convoy, then everyone goes around deciding whether they're, what they want to inspect. And more people, one than one person can try to inspect it, because if I want to inspect your convoy and someone else wants to as well, they can play a card too to inspect it, and only one of us gets to, and it goes to whoever has the highest rank of inspectors. So if I play a lieutenant, which is the lowest, and Brad plays a captain, Brad gets president, he gets to inspect it. If we both play captains, it's whoever played it first. So you score a lot of points in different ways. You score points from getting legal goods into your basically your warehouse at the end. You get $1,000 for every legal good. You get 4000 for every illegal good. And then you also can get points every time you score any of the proies, any of the officers or inspectors. If you score them, you get points for those as well. You can also score points for what's left in your hand if you have any inspection in your hand at the end of the game, or you can lose points if you have any illegal goods in your hand. Every illegal good in your hand at the end of the game is worth negative $4,000. Oh, and as is many games, you're playing for the most points, so whoever has the most money at the end of the game will win. 
Um, I've played this probably about a dozen times now since I got it. Um, I actually got to play it uh, with some of the guys from Blue Orange when I was at uh, ACD Distribution's Open House back in May, and I I was hooked right away. I've, I've been a fan of, of whole gangster era and, and that stuff just because that's what I like. Um, I'm just kind of a history buff, and that's one era of, of U.S. history that I've always liked because of all the so many stories of how prohibition, you know, was and how it really didn't work at all, and that even the people who voted for prohibition and the ones who enacted it were still, you know, hitting their jollies, having drinks whenever they wanted, anyways, because it's a tried and true testament to the those who have money and power don't have to uh, obey the rules. Um, although with this game, you have to follow the rules, otherwise we'll kick you out because we don't like cheaters. Um, but I just, it's, it's its another small game. I like the small games because I can take tons of them with me when I go somewhere. If I'm going to a friend's house to play games, I can take 20 of these games with me in one milk crate. Um, and the box says 20 minutes. It usually runs about 30 to 40, depending on how many players there are. I haven't done up to, it goes up to six. I haven't played with six yet. I've played up to five. And it took about 40 minutes to play through. Um, which... It comes down to a lot of how long you let people try to bribe or talk their way out of trouble. No, sure, yeah. So, and it's there are similarities to uh, I, I I believe I've mentioned before uh, the game Sheriff of Nottingham, and this has similarities to that in the whole thing that you're basically smuggling goods or illegal goods, um, but this is just a more streamlined uh, and much smaller. I mean, it's a three by six box uh, version than. Sheriff of Nottingham would be, and it plays a little quicker as well. Okay. I like I like me the bluffing games. <laughs> which what does that say about me? Maybe I'm just a really good liar, or at least I think I am. <laughs> bluffing games definitely take a certain kind of person. I had I had a friend play Spyfall the other night, and everybody loved it except for this one person. She's just I'm uncomfortable bluffing. Oh shoot! Yeah. Have you had a chance to, to play Prohees, Bebo? I have not, but it does sound very similar to Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes, it is It is, it is very similar. Um, except, I mean, obviously you have you have fewer goods. You aren't competing for the whole king of queen of apples. Um, right. And you don't get the little cardboard cutout of the sheriff. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just another... Blue Orange, in my opinion, has just been, with, with a lot of these smaller games, has just been knocking it out of the park the last couple of years. They have really released some really strong little mini-games, um, which is a departure from a lot of their, a lot of their stuff in the past. They are, they are a lot of more younger kid-type stuff. I mean, they had one of the most popular ones is Spot It, which is just a fast-paced matching, flipping cards. And they do have some really great wood games, uh, like Pangaloo and uh, Kiki the Rocking Monkey, which are, are, are games aimed for much, much younger kids, like in that three to five range. Yeah, and they've one just of their really... first... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. One of their first bigger box games just now was New York 1901. Yeah. Did you get a chance to play that? I did, and I like that one as well. <laughs> so they have, they have not disappointed me with, with, uh, with anything. There's, there's a few that I, I don't think are amazing, but there's none that if if anyone popped any one of these games on the table, I'd happily play any of them. Yep. 
cool. And I'm, I'm taking a look at their website, and they have a number of interesting games. Aztec, that's interesting. Um, Battle Sheep, there we go. I love Battle Sheep. <laughs> um, to, that's a two to four player game. Yeah, they, they really seem to specialize in in kids games, but they definitely seem to be um, while while entertaining. Some of this is definitely educational, which I oh, yeah. think is, is really very cool. Um, and as I said, as a retailer, they are one of my favorite companies to deal with. They take a very vested interest in how stores are doing with their product. Um, they come out probably twice a year. They'll they'll come to our store. And they'll really? run our they'll run our staff through demos of all their new product. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. So I mean, it might just be that they like us a lot, and you know, compared to other stores. I mean, uh, my my boss is fairly well known um, amongst a lot of people in the industry in in the uh, companies that that will sell direct because we buy direct whenever we can. Um, and he just he goes out of his way to make. To, to know everyone in the industry so and oh, that's very cool I mean I think we were we were store their store of the month uh, back in I think July so and we do sell a lot of their stuff and probably because it's these smaller games I mean one the price point you can't I mean this is it's fifteen dollars and the entire instruction book uh, is about the size of a double-sided playing card to them. That's like the whole instruction book. Oh, so they're nice. super they're super easy to explain. They're really easy to pitch. And they demo really well. You put them on a table, I can teach you how to play this game in two minutes, which is a great way, a great thing when you're trying to sell a game. If I can show you how to play it and you know how to play it fast, that's a huge turn-on for people as opposed to, as much as I love Twilight Imperium, you have to like reading novels because that is a heck of a rule book. Or just have a friend that memorized all the rules because they've played it so many times. Yes. Yeah. Those, those are the people I like as long as most of those people are good. You have some people who do that simply so that they can trounce the, the unwary, and as I call them, sharks, which is why my first experience with Agricola was awful because they played against someone who knew the rules and only told us enough to play well enough to get horribly destroyed. I'm that's... a horrible game teacher, so sometimes I do that accidentally. Well, that's different. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know if, if you play with people enough times, they'll they'll ask follow-up questions just because they know that you know it's not out of malice or anything, but it's just how your brain works. So. Well, and a tip for teaching games to keep people interested when you're showing them. This is a tip I learned from the guys from Shut Up and Play. Does it involve jazz hands? It does not, but it does involve hmm. hands. Okay. Uh, they say when you're talking about something, give the player something to hold. Oh, sure, yeah. A token or a card or something, because it by giving them something to hold on to, it, it keeps them more interested. And I've been, I, we do that at the store now, and it actually does help, especially when you have a, a more lengthy game to explain, when it can't be something that can be summed up of the, you flip this card, I flip this card, and the highest one wins. Well, that's pretty easy, but... When it's, you know, when there's, these are the 38 steps of playing this game, you're going to lose people. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Absolutely. Huh. But that is Prohees. 
Okay, and like you said, it's about $15-ish for the game, which, you know, for as much as we've been talking about... And granted, these are larger board games and things like that. You know, you're talking 50, you know, 50, 60 bucks for a larger involved game with, with you know, pieces and a board to set up, but just for something wonderful that you can you know, put in a... It, 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 you know, it, it's small. It, it's easy set up, easy to work with, and 15 bucks, you really can't go wrong for a game that has good replayability and is fun and and not long to play. I mean, 30, 40 minutes, that's that's great. You can get a, a number of games of that in, you know, in a night if if you guys are so inclined to stick with same, playing the same game over and over, but uh no, that's really cool. All right, thank you, Glenn. Uh next up we're going to talk about uh Mutant Chronicles, which is a game by Modifius. And uh, Mutant Chronicles 3rd Edition PDF is now available. <clears throat> Odiphius Entertainment now has their Mutant Chronicles 3rd Edition RPG uh, book available in PDF format over at their website. So those of you with your fancy tablet computers and smart cell phones uh, can take it with you on the go. Well, now, uh, well, not that you couldn't take a book with you, but your computer or phone are probably smaller and lighter. Mutant Chronicles is a diesel punk setting where humanity has spread out among the various planets in the solar system. Giant corporations are in charge of much of what goes on. However, things aren't all sunshine and Mars roses. The Dark Legion is invading, and due to a thing called dark symmetry, technology isn't working as great as it used to. Will your characters survive in this rather harsh setting where just about anything is out to get you? And that story is from tabletopgamingnews.com. Um, Modifius. What other games? Um, the name is definitely familiar. We've talked about them in the past. What other games does Modifius do? Oh, Akun um, Cthulhu I brought up before. Okay, okay. One of okay. theirs, and they're doing the new uh, the Thunderbirds uh, co-op board game. That's right. That's what it was. Uh, that was a Kickstarter that we talked about. It was. Uh, yeah, a while back. That's right. Um, Man, I have not played Newton Chronicles in probably close to 20 years. <laughs> um, how, uh, Bebo, are you, I know you, you know, I mean, uh, uh, GameWire is more about tabletop games. Uh, are you an RPG player? I am. I play Dungeons & Dragons 5th Ed right now. Okay. Um, that's the only thing I've been playing lately. I don't have a ton of time to play every no. board game in the world and every RPG, so yeah. I play D&D because that's what my friends play. Sure. Okay. Yeah, we were having a discussion earlier about why steampunk is more popular than diesel punk, and this really kind of, uh, this story kind of inspired the beginning of, of that talk. Um we aren't with. That's like the great question. Why is steampunk more popular than diesel punk? If anybody knows, they can contact us at galacticnetcasts at gmail.com and uh, let us know what you know and, uh, and, and, and solve this, this question of the ages that we have right now. Um, we just really want to know. Um, so this is third edition. 
How long has Mutant Chronicles been? You said it's been 20 years since you've played. Yeah, I remember picking this up at Gen Con back in the 90s. Um, probably, I'm guessing, 93 or 94-ish. Okay. okay. There's this thing called the Internet. <laughs> yeah, when it first came out. Okay, and they, you know, they've got like a huge listing of... They're doing Octoon Cthulhu... Which yeah. um, and the our previous guest uh, Kenneth Height did some work with that. Um, yep, Thunderbirds, John Carter. Yeah, they've they've really diversified here, and they've got a number of different different things here. And their website's pretty interesting too. So, a tabletop. Yeah, I, I, having something in PDF form is is kind of nice. Although I think Glenn and I are kind of in the same boat where. We need to be able to touch something. I I don't mind reading through something once if it's like a game book, but if I need to reference back, um, you know, when I play Pathfinder, it's ridiculous. Especially if I'm playing a, a you know some magic-based class, I'll have like you know two or three books open, and you know I'm that guy that like takes up too much of the table, unfortunately, because I I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm that guy. I'm. But anyway, I'm old. And computers frighten me. <laughs> Stop. They don't. That, that's that's my bread and butter. On that note, yeah, none of us seem to have really played a whole lot, at least not lately, uh, on Mutant Chronicles. But it's just one of those things where I really dig the fact that uh, that games continue to have an extended life. That there's an either. If interest may have waned a little bit or something like that, they find a way to kind of bring uh, a new spin to it or a new distribution media to, to put it in. So, you know, taking the time to, if something has been in a just a print-only format, to port it over to PDF and then, because, I mean, that requires new layout to be done. So it's like redoing the book all over but then redoing it for a different medium which uh, definitely takes takes time and effort to do. So it's always cool to see a company take take that extra step to make sure that their product is as relevant um, as it was when the day it was first released. So Well, I think that's a big thing that helps these games stick around is now the fact that you can do these digital copies where you don't have to fork out 30 grand to do a print run of a book. Yeah. I know that um, previous guest, uh, Kurt Patz, with his... Um, uh, Heroes Unchained. He was in that same boat. He um, is going through. Um, I want to say, was it drive through? Drive through. Yeah, he's going through drive through. So it's a um, print per order, essentially, kind of a deal. So uh, that's kind of cool. And yeah, that really does help smaller smaller companies that are just starting out and trying to find that audience not have to shell out that initial cash because I I shudder to think how much like for Mist Runner how much did you have to shell out to do your actual physical print run when you printed out your books Glenn uh, my first print run this print run was 200 copies and that cost about uh, $2,400 yeah and that's that's 200 books, and if you 
you know, granted, if you do larger print runs, you get more of a, a price break, but that's still more money that you have to, to shell out and have available right away to, to, to get that out. <clears throat> and then that doesn't include any money you might have to pay for distribution deals to get, you know, the product to a warehouse and whatnot. And, um, yeah, it can be really cost prohibitive. So it's cool that there are companies like drive Through um, that, uh, um, RPG, I'm sorry, RPG drive-through that allow you to do that. So, uh, next up is our Kickstarter spotlight, and the recap we're gonna do from last week's game that uh, I think Glenn and I both ordered while we were talking about the game, or at least I know I did while Glenn was talking about it, and that is the the micro game. I'm sorry, one of the minion games, um, which is a small deck game called Sun, Moon, and Stars, a micro card game. So could you refresh our memories on that, Glenn? Yep, Sun, Moon, and Stars. It's a fast play game where you are, each player gets a totem spirit, the wolf, deer, owl, or serpent, which has a specific goal as, as far as what celestial object you need in front of you. For example, the deer needs to have the sun and the stars. The, uh, the owl needs the sun and the moon. And these are cards, the sun, moon, and stars are cards that are constantly moving around the table. And if end of your turn, if you have the ones you need to win, you win. It's that simple. Um, it is a typical round of play can take as little as short a time as a minute, as I proved by letting someone win around on the second play of the entire game. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a super fast play. It, it's kind of in the vein of some other micro games like Love Letter and stuff like that, where it's I mean it's I don't know, I forget how many cards it is total. It's it's like less than it's like twenty some cards. Um, so it's a small number of cards, eighteen cards, um, and they smashed their goal. It was only a two week Kickstarter, um, and they were looking for thirty hundred bucks. They hit eight thousand. Um, but if you missed out on it, it sounds interesting. You can pre-order it for eight bucks because they even have that up on the Kickstarter page. Pre-order it for Minion Games. That's awesome. Yes. So, and Minion Games is uh, actually uh, run by um, a uh, James Matthey. I'm pronouncing his name right. I should know this. The guy, he's one of my, uh, one of the other game store owners in the Milwaukee area. Oh, so, okay. sure. Minion Games is, is one of his things that he does. He's, they've run a ton of games for Kickstarter. Um, Eminent Domain, I think, was, was it Eminent Domain, one of theirs? Or no, not Eminent Domain, but they've done a lot of games. No, that's really cool. And this isn't like another, for those of you that are watching the video, I was holding up the Love Letters Batman edition, <laughs> which I, I have yet to play. And like looking at the cards, there's there's the Joker on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to find somebody to, to, to play with me, or a group of somebody's. So, um, I'm really looking forward to the new Adventure Time love letter. Uh, oh, that should be interesting. So the bag on it is Jake the dog. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> that is cool. Oh, uh, Manhattan Project, that's the was thinking of by that Manhattan Project is also done by Minion Games and Hegemonic and Tahiti. Okay. And those are all smaller card games like Sun, Moon, and Stars? No. Oh. No, they're, 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 their projects are... Manhattan Project is, is a full-size board game. Oh, okay. um, so their games are all, they're all over the place. Um, they do uh, 
they're really involved with the uh, I'm blanking on the name now the it's the uh, spiel something um, it's basically it's a group of people that uh, get together and, and play test their game creations and they, they all help each other and work on stuff and I'm completely forgetting what they call it but um, Minion Games is really a real big supporter of that which is where a lot of their games come from is the people who work through that so Huh. Yeah, I was trying to do a, a quick search, and I'm not finding. Yeah, and I should know it, but you know, I only I only work in the freaking city in in games. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you remember it, uh, just just shout it out randomly, and we'll we'll pick it yes. up from there. Okay. Cool. I, I think I just yeah. Well, maybe not. Like at the, save it for the end. How about that? We'll let Bebo have her her portion of the show here, and, and you'll you'll save that. Proto spiel. Hold <laughs> okay. the proto spiel. There, I get it there out right away. Nice. Okay, and yeah, I just got an email from uh, Minion Games about Sun and Moon, uh, Sun, Moon, and Stars. I think today or yesterday, just as a follow up, uh, an update to that Kickstarter campaign. So. Buy the game from the from the creator who can, who calls me a doofus. <laughs> Hopefully that's an affectionate dude. It was. We're good friends. Okay, that's cool. All right. Well, that's our recap from last week. Um, the game that uh, I found this week is oh, actually, God. I think, yeah, it's it's a bit ridiculous. Um, it's called Omnibus, and it is for the first time, I think. Well, I think we've talked about computer games in the in the past being kickstarted, uh, but this one is is really ridiculous. And I am going to, if you're watching us on YouTube, I'm going to do a screen share so you can see the awesomeness that is Omnibus. And I am sharing that screen. Ooh, I almost stopped the broadcast. That would have been very terrible. All right. It's like the first time I've ever operated a computer or something. Here we go. All right. The whole premise of this game is you're driving like an indestructible bus and you're driving through a city and you're just driving through objects and your goal is to drive fast, collect money, and plow through buildings. It is mindless, ridiculous fun. Awesome. <laughs> That's what I said. Glenn's like, are you sure you want to talk about that? I'm like, heck yeah, I do. That's totally ridiculous. <laughs> it's like speed. It's like speed meets goat simulator. <laughs> I, I, true story. I saw Goat Simulator on Steam. I think at the point where they were um, just talking about releasing it, so I pre-ordered the game. And when I got it, I never laughed so hard in my life while playing a computer game, pretending to be a goat and going through a city. And every once in a while, I'll just pick up the game. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, it does kind of have that spirit and that feel of, of Goat Simulator. Um, the premise here is Omnibus is an unstoppable force of nature that can break through almost anything. However, Omnibus doesn't have any brakes, so stopping is not an option. You can only control the direction and endure the speed that slowly increases over time. The only way to lose is to flip onto your side or drive into water. 
<laughs> now, um, as of this point in time, on September 5th, there are 14 days to go. Their goal was $5,000, and they are at this point in time at 5301 So they have hit their goal. And for $5, you get a copy of the game, and it will be available to you February of 20. I just backed it. <laughs> I, it just... Uh, and there are three modes that you can play. You can play story mode, which is play through multiple worlds, completing one crazy mission after another, find secret stars and unlock hidden missions. There's free play and trick mode, where you can roam around uh, on one of the multiple maps, racking up cash for destruction and pulling off radical bus tricks. <laughs> it's like we're playing the arcade game Skate or Die. Do you ever remember that game, Glenn? I love that game! Yeah, I totally love that game, too. Just having it, like, you had it right, right down to the wire, and it would shout at you, Skate or Die! And you'd panic. At least I would. Um, I panicked because I was terrible at it. <laughs> My little brother and I would just play it on joust mode for hours on end, and we got so good at it! <laughs> nice. And uh, the third and final mode is multiplayer, and that's local up to four players. So it's not anything you play over the internet. It would be something local that you play on, um, like a closed LAN or something like that. And that's crash and slam into your friends in a demolition derby mode. Find out who is the trick master in a tubular trick mode. <laughs> it's like lost in the 80s here. It's awesome. See who can rack up the most cash with their sick tricks. And other multiplayer modes are currently in the works. And I love that you can you can be a double-decker bus. Yes. <laughs> it's just absolutely wonderfully ridiculous. And, you know, for $5, I... You, it, it's like having a Steam sale, you know. I, I I'm always a little frightened whenever they announce a Steam sale because I'm, uh, you you want to look and see what they have, but if you look, you almost feel obligated to buy because you'll find that one game that's like ten dollars that you've been waiting to play and have wanted to get forever, and uh, th this has that kind of a feel. For five bucks, you get uh, you get on board with this wonderfully. Ridiculous so, and simple game. What you're saying is you live your entire life in fear. This is a Steam sale like every 18 seconds. <laughs> I do. I have constant fear. I'm in therapy and taking medication for it. Um, just because of Steam. Curse you, Steam! How dare you! All the great games and then the fact that they tell you, this is how much of your life you spent playing this game. <laughs> like, thank you for that. I need to know that I spent 188 hours playing Skyrim. <laughs> And true story, Goat Simulator, this Goat Simulator originally wasn't going to have any updates, and now there are multiple updates, and they've expanded the map, and it's like it, it's become a sickness now. Every once in a while, I have to fire up Goat Simulator just to see what they've done next to to enhance the game. So, anyways, uh, our recommendation this week is Omnibus, and that is being developed by. Um, an individual, actually. It doesn't look to be done by, uh, like, a, an actual company, but an individual is is doing this. And uh, since we can see demo play already, I have a sneaking suspicion that, you know, everything is pretty much done, and now it's just map work and tweaks. So uh, 
they've hit their goal, and their goal for delivery is February of 2016. So uh, if you want in on this game, you should totally fork over your $5 and get on board. I don't think that you're going to regret it. So, All right. And, and you said that you just popped over there and, and backed it, Bebo? Yep, almost immediately. <laughs> I, I saw like two seconds of the video and I knew it was <laughs> for me. That's why, I that's why I love doing these Kickstarter things because inevitably Glenn will show me something that he's... We, we alternate weeks as to who finds what. And it's almost like it's a an unspoken contest that we have to see who's going to order the other cool game that the other ones found. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we're going to wrap up the Kickstarter stuff, and we're going to jump into our discussion with Bebo. I mentioned earlier that she is the proprietor of GameWire.com, and she does extensive uh, gameplay and uh, writes blogs uh, as reviews of, of these different games. And uh, you've got quite a, a blog library racked up, Bebo. It's pretty impressive. Thanks. Um, <laughs> it's been over the course of two years, I think, now. Oh, wow. Nice. Very nice. And you mentioned that you have uh, guest bloggers as well. Um, how do people become guest bloggers? Usually they're just friends with me or Bobby. And okay. then we're like, hey, you want to write a thing? Do you want to host it on our blog? That'd be great. <laughs> so, like, Rich Sommer did a guest blog forever ago, way before he was even doing cardboard. Okay. Nice. Man, uh, someone getting their friends to do stuff. Who's that someone? Grab. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, like, our first six guests. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's really difficult when you're starting out a thing. Um and, and and I don't know if you ran into that. Well, I think it's a little bit different for you because you get a hold of a game and you you write about it, whereas our show is focusing on getting guests in to talk about you know what you know, uh, what their interest is and how it relates to gaming and, and having a discussion about it. So it's it's fairly different. But just trying to dig up those guests at the beginning when we really didn't have any product to show for it yet. So it was really kind of kind of hair raising. And now we've been able to uh, been fortunate enough to kind of branch out and get uh, folks that aren't necessarily our friends <laughs> to come on and do the show like you. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, what what gave you the idea to start doing a gaming blog? So actually, it was my company that was like, hey, we should have a way to reach gamers. And I was like, okay. And they were like, yeah, and eventually we'll expand the marketing team. We'll have a full team of people working on this, which never happened. And so they were like, just kidding, Bebo. It's just your thing. And so it's just my thing. <laughs> And uh, it's been your thing now, you said, two years. How many yeah. blogs would you say you've written so far? I don't even know. Would you say it's over 100? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think it's that many. I mean, but here's the thing is that I have that, and then I also have GameWire, which is my Facebook page. Yeah. Okay. Um, or the, the GameWire Facebook page. And on that, I post two to four things a day. Oh, for wow. like the last two years. Okay. So you're so, you're pretty busy. So when you say that you only have time to, you know, play D and D fifth edition, you're not messing around. Yeah. No. I'm. I make. 
I I manage two different Facebook pages. Each one has two to four like actual Facebook posts on it every day, including like an image that I put together and components and everything. So you can follow GTS Distribution or GameWire and have tons of pictures for all the games you want to look at that are coming <laughs> out. And I give release dates and updates. My the main point of it is just to get the information to people that wouldn't otherwise get it, people who aren't using Board Game Geek, that don't know necessarily that those are even resources that exist. Sure, okay. Um, what would you say has been, like, the most challenging part of maintaining your blog or the Facebook page is, Facebook pages? It's definitely being consistent, um, trying to make face or uh, blog posts regularly. And the reason why that's difficult is because finding an editor when you just know that, like, I make stupid mistakes and then I go back and I read them and I gloss over them without realizing I made a mistake here and there. And so editing is the biggest, most frustrating portion of maintaining a blog, which is why I collaborated with Terry LaTorco from Geek and Sundry to make our new blog, The Board Dames, and we can kind of help each other out there. Oh, nice. Very nice. Mm -hmm. So she specializes more in, in editorial? Uh, she is actually a war gamer, and so oh. she does a bunch of paint, she does painting tutorials and has a YouTube channel and writes for Geek and Sundry about board games as well, so she's just, she's all around awesome, and she's a derby girl. Nice. Okay. Very cool. And she's about three inches shorter than me, and I think I'm like four foot eleven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she is mighty indeed. All right. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say you've done to build your relationship within the gaming community as a whole? The best thing I've ever done for that is attend Board Game Geek Con. Okay. Hands down, that is where I've I just made endless friends. I met everybody. I made sure to get con contact information for everybody, keep in touch all year round. And then on top of that, like maintaining Twitter and Facebook and just being a a real person that people can talk to. And I'm I'm very responsive to people. When people tweet at me or message me, I'm quick to reply and make sure that everybody feels like I'm including them. Sure. Okay. You know, that's the one thing that, you know, Glenn and I as a fledgling podcast, you know, we're we're definitely working on building that community and you always, especially when you're starting out, you're constantly wondering, how oh, can I be doing this better? What, you know, how what's the best way to do it? Um so being available, essentially, writing like a real person, are there any other tips that you might have? Um, I mean, obviously go hang out at your friendly local game store because that can they can be a huge soundboard for you. Most friendly local game stores have Facebook pages, and if you talk to all of the ones in your area and say, hey, I've been doing this blog thing, I've been doing this whatever, they're more than happy to share it the majority of the time because it's helping them sell games too. Okay. Okay, sure. Oh, that's a great idea. And and also contact the publishers. The publishers love, love, love to hear when people are making content for their games specifically. A lot of the times, those, publisher will, those publishers will send emails to all of the, their distributors and say, hey guys, look at this awesome thing somebody did for our game. We'd be really happy if you share it with your audience as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, we've had that experience with... Oh, shoot. Uh, when we got to talk to Kenneth... 
Kenneth, no, uh, uh, Benjamin Looms from, from uh, Sirenscape. Sirenscape, yes. Uh, <laughs> made the initial contact and it, like hit their PR person and then poof, it went out from there. Uh, and then we got to talk to uh, Benjamin Looms. He's um, uh, a sound designer and composer who uh, was working with, well, he does his own thing, but he has teamed up with Pathfinder to actually create. Um, He's created PC and uh, tablet, and uh, you know, and it works for smartphones too. But basically, a soundtrack for your RPG game, which oh, is, that's awesome! Yeah, it's fantastic. And then, you know, he's got like a space themed thing, and then he's got, you know, in a dungeon theme, and so on and so forth. And you can swap things out. And I really shouldn't be pumping Benjamin stuff right now while we're talking to you, but it's just one of those, it's an example of, of just kind of reinforcing what you're saying is, yeah, we did have great luck um, contacting uh, a company directly, and they really, you're absolutely right, they just shot it around, and it eventually got to the right person, and, and we got in contact, so very cool. Awesome. Um, um, let's see. Where you know you, you you mentioned that you're in charge of you know two Facebook pages, you do Twitter, and you have uh, you know your your GameWire uh, website. Mm-hmm. Where do you find that you reach the majority of your audience? I think that that's Twitter. Okay. I'd have to double check, but I'm almost 100% sure that I reach more people on Twitter than Facebook. But it really depends. Um, because with Facebook, we are able to boost some posts, even if they're just funny things that we want people to see to increase our audience size. Sure. Um, it depends on the week. Because overall, I think for free, Twitter is much better. Um, but Facebook, if you are if you have any sort of paid reach, you can just... It, it spirals out of control because you pay a small amount for a sponsored... And then the organic reach just blows up from there because people share it with their friends, so on and so forth. Sure, we you know we've experimented a little bit with with paying to boost posts in Facebook in the past. With um, we're a part of Galactic Netcasts as a a podcast organization, and uh, we've experimented with with boosting posts and and kind of seeing trying to do a cost analysis as it were because we're you know just a small group <clears throat> uh, of of individuals so you know the amount of money the, the budget to do that is is limited and it sounds like with the company you're working for you actually they have a budget that's allotted for it is that that's yes, accurate yes we do because we we have a marketing team and we have a marketing budget for these things we have a budget for that and in addition to that like I don't necessarily know that we're expecting an immediate payback on like, oh, we sent this many things out, this many people saw it, therefore this many copies of the game got bought. That's not how it works. We're using this as, hey, we did this thing, and then we show that to the publishers and say, hey, this is what we're doing for you, and this is why you should be giving us X number of games for whatever reason, because, I mean, we really do do more marketing than <laughs> most people do. It's an unbelievable amount. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I think that's really awesome that you don't expect that ROI because the company that I work for in my day job, the biggest argument against boosting posts is, posts is because there's no measurement for ROI, and I, I think that that's a, a false way of looking at it. And it's cool that you're working for a group that's progressive enough to realize that that's there's not going to be a direct ROI for 
the money that you spend. So there's never a direct ROI for marketing in general, but you still <laughs> need it. Yeah. No. Understood. Understood. Um, let's see. Do you have now that you've been doing this for for a, a couple of years now? Are there any bits of advice that you might have for somebody starting up? Maybe pitfalls that that you accidentally tripped over that you could help somebody avoid, or success stories that that um, that have happened from 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 doing your blog? Yeah, I would I would just say as much as you can collaborate with other people, as much as you can interview other important community members, people that you care about go and research the things that you're passionate about because that's going to shine through in your writing. That's going to shine through in the way that you talk about things. Pursue those people and see if you can interview them, see if you can collaborate with them on a funny article that sounds entertaining or funny to you, and people will listen. Okay. No, that's a great, great piece of advice. And, and uh, if you're not passionate about something, you really shouldn't even – be spending your time doing it. I mean, life is short. <laughs> yeah, but as as like a 23-year-old when I started my blog, like I wasn't necessarily confident in everything that I was writing. Okay. And as, yeah. as things went on, I, I became more confident because the people that I was working with were people I cared about, and they appreciated what I did for them. And so their audiences, audiences cared, and my audience saw how much I cared. And that just, it, it makes everything that you're doing feel more genuine and it makes your audience care more about what you're doing. Sure. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, would you say that that's the same for you, Glenn, with doing the B-movie bunker stuff? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I mostly, I mostly do that. I started doing that just because I used to just write reviews just for a handful of friends and I just started doing the video ones just because I wanted to I don't I don't market that a whole lot, um, and right now it's more just for that select group of people that I hang out. I guess I guess it is it is that circle of people that I know that are passionate about the same stuff I am. So, which is why I've I've skewed more over the years towards doing horror stuff is because that's what the people that I'm I talk with that's what they're passionate about. That's what I like. It gives us stuff to talk about. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, we we have the Kickstarter spotlight. We we talked about Omnibus. Would you say, especially with your um, with your expertise in reviewing tabletop games, do you think that Kickstarter has been responsible for a definite a surge in the number of games available to people? Um, I would say yes. In general, it's gotten a lot of new games out there. And in addition to that, you can see companies that grew initially from Kickstarter in general. I mean, if you look at Coolman or not, or Minion Games even, like there are a lot of different companies that really blew up after Kickstarter, especially Minis. Uh, cool and Minnie, my gosh, they've made like $18 billion on Kickstarter. It's <laughs> insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they've gotten huge. <laughs> I know they 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 stole the guy who used to run some of our mini games. <laughs> yeah, they they well we we originally stole Spencer Reeve from them and then they stole him back. So <laughs> I think we're even. We're not. I I missed I missed uh, the guy who ran our Malifaux League. Uh, went down and he works for sales for them now, so we miss him quite a bit. But it's also nice having a guy on the inside. 
it that it is. We, when Spencer went back, I was like, maybe he's better there. Like maybe this is better for me that he's at that company. <laughs> so you get uh, sneak peeks and inside information on stuff. That's cool. I get games early. Oh, okay. Oh, that's even better, especially if you're doing reviews. That's oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That. There's the. My friend there told me something that I can't tell anyone, which I just, it's been bothering me since he told me in May. I'm like, he goes, and you can't tell anyone until we announce it. I'm like, when's it? He goes, maybe November. I'm like, <laughs> that's so far away. Yes, and I'm just like, I, I, I can't tell anyone because I'm like, because it's, it's proprietary stuff. So there's just that, you know, it's, I mean, I, I had a friend. I have a friend who used to work for Marvel, and he would have all this information. He's like, yeah, I can't tell you anything. <laughs> I, if it makes you feel any better, we knew a bunch of things about Force Friday, which was the Star Wars release day, and, like, everybody was like, nope, you know nothing, just so you're all aware. None of you know anything about Force Friday, so that's what I had to say. Oh. Yep. Sometimes it's the worst having a secret, <laughs> you know? Uh, there, there's a, there, there is truth to the saying, ignorance is bliss. Because well, you gotta sit on that secret. Having, <laughs> having a secret that is, it's not just a, I know who kissed who in the bathroom, you know, after school. This is the, yeah, you can lose your job. Yeah, no, <laughs> yep. absolutely. This is the, I have really cool information I really want to tell everyone that's a fan of this fandom about, but I can't. Uh... That's all you need is a pack of lawyers climbing all over you. Yeah, that's not good. But I just counted it as a victory. I'm like, I've kept so many secrets in my lifetime. <laughs> Infinite secrets. Uh, that's just more experience for playing bluffing games later. I think and... it should be on my LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> can keep a lot of secrets. For professional secret keeper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, uh, conversely, Kickstarter has, you know, I've actually backed some stuff that has been canceled for whatever reason. Do you think that there's also a, you know, uh, uh, there's pros and cons to everything. Do you think there's, uh, there are cons to having Kickstarter be a part of, maybe, you know, helping people get games out there? At this point, I don't. Like, I've heard both sides of the arguments all over the place on, like, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether there's it's stealing business from retailers, so on and so forth. And I just think that if a game's good, it's going to keep selling, and I don't think you're stealing that much of the marketplace because most... The crazy thing is that, like, I work in gaming, and I'm surrounded by people in gaming, but any time I leave that sphere of people... Mm -hmm. There are so many people that have no idea that Kickstarter even exists. Really? Okay. In the real world? Yeah, it's mind-blowing. There are people that don't spend more than a couple hours a day on the internet. Like, they're like, oh, I check my email. What, that's an option? I know, I'm literally glued <laughs> to my computer. It blows my mind, but there are so many people out there not glued to their devices. Uh, I... Yeah, I'm so horribly addicted to all things the internet that it's, well, that's kind of my day job too. So it's like one of those things. It's like a, it's a cycle. <laughs> I, I can't escape it, even if I wanted to. So, all right. Um, 
you know, the, the, the last question that we have, and this is probably – this might take a little bit more discussion or this could be kind of kind of quick, but you know, I, you, you, I remember reading something recently that there's really a whole myth that has been perpetuated, and uh, that is that games, be it board games or RPGs, whatever, are more – played by males, and that is completely false. Um, you know, we look at the demographics for for marketing and sales, and it's pretty much 50-50 split down the middle. Do you think that media has helped perpetuate that myth that gaming is male-dominated? And if so, what do you think media can do to, to stop that? Um, well, first off, I disagree. Um, my target audience on Facebook, all over the internet, every single website that I have is like 92% male. Oh, okay. And so based on what I'm seeing, which I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying I'm wrong. I just think that we're, we're seeing different things. Okay. Um, based on what I'm seeing, like it, as far as I can tell, there are more men in, in the hobby than women. I think that the difference is is that the people that are talking about it, the people that are, um, I don't know, really figureheading the industry in general and all of these different games that are, are symbols for the people that are playing it, I think that for the most part, those are male. Okay. And I think that that's why the people interacting with me online are mostly male as well because they're involved in the community. I think that women... At least for me, I've been intimidated to go into game stores, and honestly, I'm just a lot busier than most of my male friends. Sure. Um, and I mean, part of that is just that we live different lifestyles. I'm a single mother, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that the only thing we can really do to help solve that is a, make sure that women in your game stores feel welcome and are excited to be there. And B, the women that are involved in the hobby should absolutely be out there writing blogs, talking to publishers, trying to get jobs in the industry, just, just speaking up and encouraging other women to be in the hobby as well. And the best thing that we as women can do is make sure that we're never bringing down other women. We need to always be lifting each other up and encouraging each other. That way we have a positive environment for everybody in the hobby. Sure. No, absolutely. And we had the good fortune of speaking with uh, Gary Asselford, and he is out of the San Diego area, and he is uh, he, he's a part of a Girl Scout troop, and he is running uh, a modified version of D&D, and the girls in that region can get a badge in Dungeons & Dragons in role-playing. I want to be a Girl Scout. <laughs> I saw this story and I had to contact him and, and talk about it. And if you look up Gary Asselford, A-S-T, it's basically, if you were to spell out Castleford, drop the C in, in Castle. It's Asselford, uh, okay. Ford, actually. And um, he actually had a, uh, a Girl Scout badge made by the actual company that makes Girl Scout badges. And it has a, a dragon and a D20 on this badge and it's absolutely so cool. fantastic and he had the the foresight to um, create this kind of slightly modified streamlined um, process to making the character sheets for the, the the Girl Scouts 
so that you know when you sit down within a limited amount of time you can you know, finalize your character and, and boom you're playing and he has it available to anybody that wants to do that for their Girl Scout troop. It's completely open, and he has it available to, to anybody to do, to run for a Girl Scout troop, and it is just... So, would he have it available for people that weren't necessarily in Girl Scout groups? Like, say, a school? Like... I, I don't think that... He has it... I mean, it's completely open. You can go to his site, and you can download the materials. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um... And uh, and what he'll end up doing, if you live in that portion of California, he'll and you have a Girl Scout troop, he'll go and he'll run that workshop um, by him by himself with with the girls to, to so that they can earn their match in that. And it's just really awesome, and uh, it was just a great way to kind of do outreach and try to change the perceptions of. Of gaming being being strictly well, not necessarily strictly, but mostly male dominated. So it was really kind of cool to see his or hear his observations of how much the girls really got into playing and um, you know the the whole thing. And just there was a, a definite joy in his in, in his interview of of how it was cool to just make that connection and see those those lights go on in their eyes and being creative and stuff like that and just having a good time. So. Mm -hmm. If you get the chance, you should check that out. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> okay, cool. Very cool. Well, there's, I want to just I want to add on one thing that she, that people mentioned is the whole game stores. Uh, that should apply not to just people who work at game stores. If you are a regular at a game store, yes, you are, you are an ambassador for games. I don't care. I don't mm -hmm. care if you say you don't want to be. If you're there, that's what you are. Yep. Um, and if you are a jerk to to women who, who come into the store one it's my store you're out yeah uh, we don't we don't we don't put up that for anyone for any reason if people come in they're there to have fun and if you aren't letting someone else have fun then you can go away so that person can have fun yeah um, and i have been blessed with the people i have who are regulars at my store because i don't have to police my players for the most part because my players Police themselves. Nice. Because that's the community we've built, and that this is a this is for anyone who wants to come and play, and it's for anything they want to play, because uh, our biggest rule is we are not the arbiters of fun. We don't decide what is fun for e each person. Everyone has their own idea of fun. I don't sell games. I sell a fun experience. That's what I sell. You've come in here to buy something to have fun with. You might have a specific idea. You might have come in specifically by Splendor, but you might just be in because you want something. And my my belief is that when someone comes into my store, until I'm proven different, I assume that they're there buying for themselves. Yeah, That's why they're at the store. I mean, if, if they say, I'm looking for something for my son or my daughter, okay, then I'll go from that. But if someone's over in the D&D books, I'm assuming – they play D and D, or they're looking to start playing D and D. I don't assume the, the dreaded oh, she's buying something for her boyfriend. Yeah, I never, never pre. I mean, that's just a rule of sales. Never pre qualify somebody that's coming through your door. That's just yes. Sales, Espe especially when it's half the population. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I when I worked at uh, River City Comics, eons ago now. Um, you know, we always tried to make sure that we had a 
a nice environment. We didn't treat it, have anybody treat it like a clubhouse. That I, you know, we always try to treat it like if you're going to come in and buy stuff, we'll talk with you and whatever, but it's not a place for you to hang and, 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 and gather together unless you're there to play a game or something. That's completely different. But um, the other thing, too, is we always kept the store clean and organized and, and looking nice so that you didn't get that reputation of being, you know, really kind of a, a scuzzy <laughs> place that nobody would really want to go to. Um, but, yeah, you're right. You have to culti- cultivate that that culture within the store, and that you know, has to be... It's hard. It can be hard to do, but once you get it set up, um, it, it can take a life of its own. And uh, hopefully, if you've tended to that garden well, it's it's a good life, and it will self police. And 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 you know the people well, there it's, will it's be. Just, it's a better environment. Yeah. More yeah. more people playing games is good for everyone who plays games. No, absolutely, absolutely. All right. Um. Yeah, I guess that that uh, I think we're gonna wrap up our our discussion on on running a tabletop blog. Is there anything else that uh, you wanted to mention about GameWire.com and your other your other work, people? Um, you can check out the other one, which is mostly shorter articles um, or collaborations from other people. It's images and some cool stuff that maybe people don't know about because there haven't been press releases for it, and that is theboarddames.com. That again, that's mine and Terry Latorco's thing. We are starting a podcast soon, and we did our first Google Hangout a couple weeks ago. Nice. Unfortunately, we both got busy because we are both mothers that <laughs> have crazy jobs. <laughs> okay, and um, we will uh, make sure that we get links to that in the show notes here at at. Um, so everybody has it available to, to them to click over and, and check out the rest of your stuff. Um, okay. Oh, perfect. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, hello, my name is. Uh, it's your opportunity to tell us about your favorite character that you've had the opportunity to play or are, are currently playing. And maybe you're playing Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition and you've got a cleric that you really enjoy playing. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, you can go to GNCasts or GalacticNetcasts.com and you can uh, click over uh, to Podcasts and Adventure Party. And on that page, we have a link, uh, a graphic that says, Hello, my name is, and you click that and you fill out just a short form and tell us about a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your character. Uh, yes, we do ask for your email address. We, this isn't to, to, to create a list. That's not the purpose of it. What we want to do is, if we talk about your character, is send you a certificate for participation that um, basically mentions your name, your character's name, and why your character is so cool and why you enjoy playing them. Uh, like I said, you can go to galacticnetcast.com and click over to the Adventure Party, and you can find the link there. Uh, you can find the Adventure Party... Uh, at galacticnetcasts.com, like I said, and you can find all of our social media outlets that we're a part of, too. Uh, we record this show live on uh, YouTube, uh, typically on Saturdays or Sundays, and uh, we have a whole collection of videos. Uh, now, I mean, we're finishing up our 24th episode, so we've got a whole library of 
the raw, uncut versions, of the audio versions that we have available on iTunes and Stitcher or your favorite um, uh, podcast uh, collector that you like to use, <clears throat> those tend to be a little bit more processed and uh, not necessarily censored, but you know, we try to clean some stuff up here. Um, make it sound as good as possible. Uh, if you are using iTunes or Stitcher, could you take a moment to give us a review? Uh, if it's positive or negative, it's fine either way. Uh, any feedback is good. Uh, we just like to know if we're doing a good job, if there's something we should do more of, or maybe something we should do less of. Uh, let us know. Um, let's see. And you can leave us feedback also by emailing galacticnetcasts at gmail.com or you can call or text the number 805-328-3966. Again, that's 805-328-3966. And like I said, you can leave a message or text us at that number. Fees may apply depending on your particular cell phone plan. You can also go to galacticnetcasts.com, and there is a link. I think it got moved now. It's back on the left side of the screen uh, where you can click, and uh, it says leave a message. And if you have a microphone attached to your computer, you can just click that link, and you can leave us a message directly from the website, and then it shoots us an email, and we get your uh, clip of audio, your feedback, and uh, we can play it back on the show if uh, if you do leave us a message. Um, I want to thank you, Bebo, for taking the time to um, you know, talk to us about your blog and uh, you know getting some some tips and and some information about you know, maybe starting your own blog on tabletop board gaming or or whatever your interests might be, and uh, and taking that time you know uh, chat chatting with us. Thanks for having me. And uh, I want to thank. Uh, oh, I, just one more time. Could you give us uh, the websites, the, the the addresses where people can find you again? Yeah, yeah. It's www.thegamewire.com and www.theboarddames.com. Board dames with a D. All right. Yeah. And we'll make sure, like I said, we'll have it in the show notes, and uh, you'll be able to to click directly over to that, so you can get to Bebo's work. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank Glenn for uh, joining us once again on this journey. And how can people find out more about the stuff that you do, Glenn? Uh, you can find me on the Facebooks with uh, Nathan Hope Productions and the B-Movie Bunker, as well as Mr. on the RPG or Apocalypse How the Card Game. Find me on YouTube or just follow me on Twitter at Naked Hobo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time you say Naked Hobo, it just makes me giggle like a 10-year-old boy. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us at the Adventure Party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Good night. You have been listening to a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. For more about the show you just listened to, including how to subscribe, give us feedback, links to our social feeds, and more, please visit www.galacticnetcasts.com. <laughs>